This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And welcome to the second installment of Do Overdue, our 10-year anniversary celebration. celebration. Where we go back and we redo ones that we think we did bad. <laughs> Not necessarily bad. I actually don't think that the episode we did for episode one is bad. It is No, I don't think it's bad. It it's, is it's a little um stilted. It's a little unformed. I think but it's the, not bad. The beginning where we talk about making the podcast for ten minutes is is more stilted than the back half that is mm-hmm. the book discussion. Mm-hmm. But I f- still feel like we have gr- come a long way in terms of what both of us bring to a book discussion. And I, multiple times in that episode... Uh, so the conceit of this show is that one of us reads a book we haven't read before and then we talk about it on air. Uh, the conceit of this month is that we're revisiting books, as Andrew said, that we have covered before. And in that episode, we kind of... As you alluded to last week, Andrew, we kind of just proudly declared the the times where we weren't going to do any research, <laughs> in the interest of like kind of a uh, you know a, a middle America diner authenticity, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I think that was well intentioned, but I also think we discovered that it did not work. No, Pretty quickly, like I think we we. <laughs> Even before we figured out what it was that the show needed to have, I think we figured out that it did need to have something. Something. <laughs> I also think when I was I was listening to myself from ten years ago talk, which I wouldn't recommend for anyone. No, it's not. That's not good. I just could tell that I didn't know who we were talking to. Like I didn't. I could tell we didn't have a sense of who our audience was either. Yeah. Because I mean, at the time, we did not have one. We did not have one. No, we didn't even have a live podcast feed when we recorded the first one. So I did make a joke about being in the podcasting biz for exclusively like for the monetization. And now, you know, now that we're 10 years in, we've made tens of hundreds of dollars yeah. on, this, on this podcast. I, and I can, I can safely say mission accomplished. I Good think job. we I, did it. We need to. We will talk about "Of Mice and Men" by John Steinbeck uh, in just a few minutes here. But Andrew, I do want to point out a thing I found really charming about ten years ago internet in the last this episode ten years ago and uh-huh. last week's episode ten years ago. Uh-huh. You talk about how uh, we've put book links on our website uh-huh. because we're not going to serve people up Google ads that aren't relevant to them. And we're still not doing that. We're still not. We we have stayed committed to keeping punch the monkey ads off overduepodcast.com. <laughs> and I just thought that was charming. 
It's, I mean, we, we could talk, we could keep talking about that. Google's, as we record this tomorrow, they're going to do some big AI thing about how they're going to make their search product worse by inserting a oh bad la- lying AI product into No. <laughs> All this stuff makes me so upset. Okay. Because it's not good. It's bad, it's, actually. If you wanted to look at the last, like, 15 years of technology and kind of sum up for me what sums it up is like a bunch of smart people not considering the ramifications of the things that they're Mm -hmm. building Mm -hmm. and there is no more there there is no more crystallizing example of that than these ai chat bots that just are they they seem like they got good information but they sure don't they sure don't I wouldn't trust a chatbot to talk about this book. We're trying to do the opposite of that, which is like maybe we seem like we wouldn't have good information, but then if you dig down a little bit, maybe we do. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. Listen along. So, Andrew, we've talked about John Steinbeck uh, before, not just for Advice of Men. Uh, I read East of Eden for episode 490. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what do we remember about John Steinbeck? What else do we need to do? and talk about before I can talk about this book. Good old John Steinbeck. Yeah. Or back to his friends. <laughs> yeah. Jay Beck. Uh, so he was, well, he was born in 1902. He died in 1968. Yep. He's best known for uh, this and the Grapes of Wrath. And I think East of Eden yep. is kind of his magnum opus. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about that. He was born and raised in the valleys of, of central California, which is... Like th- that area plays into his, a lot of his work, including all all three of those books mm-hmm. that I just mentioned. Um, and yeah, like his, it's not that he got no accolades for his work when he was alive, but there was this. There's always this like feeling that his work was like too. Um, like when we, when we did the East of Eden episode, we like the the critics of it found it to be kind of like heavy handed moralizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's always been a man of the people. He's always had, he's always had popular works. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) So the, uh, the interesting thing about Of Mice and Men, I mean, I'm sure there are many interesting things. Um, it is, so this was published in 1937. It is thematically sort of similar to the Grapes of Wrath in that it's about like migrant farmers during the Great Depression. I think that book was more about the Great Depression and like the desperation of it and the, the traveling of it than this book is maybe. Mm. I think this, this book's a little bit more about the relationship between these two guys. Yeah. Um, but he, so he intended the book as a kind of a cross between a novel and a play because it's presented as a novel, but it also has a three-act structure. And he wanted it to be, and, and it was the first play adaptation of it happened like a few months after it came out in 1937. And they were pretty much just performing the book as it was as it was written. Um so yeah, the, the, that was the first version. And then a Broadway adaptation a couple of years later came out. That that did have a few changes from Steinbeck in it. Um Later in that production, a guy named Lon Chaney Jr. ended up playing Lenny Whoa. in that production, and that led to him being cast in the 1939 movie adaptation. Just a couple more quick adaptation notes. 
There are a lot of stage TV, radio, film adaptations of this. I'm calling out a 1981 TV movie version where Randy Quaid is Lenny. Oh, no. (laughs) And and also a 1992 movie version with Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one that is in my brain. I don't think I've ever seen it, but Mm -hmm. I'm. Like I, I know that those guys were big in Chicago theater, and then that kind of led them into film, and that's like a pairing that I'm. I see Gary Sinise when I picture George. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, and then there was another uh, 1974 Broadway revival with James Earl Jones as Lenny. Huh. So yeah, interesting. Okay. Those are not, that's that's by no means a comprehensive list, but it's the ones with the names that caught my eye. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the characters in this in this were based like we we talked about Steinbeck being from Central California. Like for a couple of years after dropping out of Stanford, he uh, migrated around California doing this kind of farmhand work. So like some of these characters are based on like his experiences. Some of them are based on people he met. Um, he said, this is a quote from him. And this, I, I do love this word a lot. I was a bindle stiff myself for Whoa. quite a spell, a bindle stiff, which I think is the politically correct way to say hobo. I, yeah, it is now. <laughs> uh, I worked in the same country that the story is laid in. The characters are composites to a certain extent. Lenny was a real person. He's in an insane asylum in California right now. I worked alongside him for many weeks. He didn't kill a girl. He killed a ranch foreman, got sore because the boss had fired his pal and stuck a pitchfork right through his stomach. I hate to tell you how many times I saw him do it. We couldn't stop him until it was too late. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, Beck, what are you talking about? Yeah, J. Beck. Gee whiz. Um, and then there's just some, we, we've talked, there's some takes about what this book is about. I was looking for reviews. I eventually did dig back far enough that I found some ones that came out in 1937. Oh yeah. Okay. But if you look at like summaries of what the book is about from sites, uh, there's common sense media says oh boy. that it stands out for positive messages and positive role models. Okay. So I like that a little bit. Yeah. And then there's, I found a thought co piece. That said, it is, quote, a tale of friendship that triumphs over the odds. Huh. <laughs> triumphs, Which eh? I think, like, I is that technically incorrect? I don't, I don't think so, but I just don't remember that being the top-level takeaway from this story last time we talked about it. It, it. is a story about friendship. Mm-hmm. The, I, and it triumphs over the odds? Define triumph define over define odds define yeah, the. i don't, I don't <laughs> like, know if i could do that <laughs> <laughs> that seems no the the word i would use for a lot of what happens to the folks in this book is tragic yeah 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 that you was know. my that was my memory of it and uh, that's so there's a I couldn't find a, a New York Times review of the book. I did find a review of the play version that came out in 1937 that was right. just a okay. book on stage. Um, the reviewer says, if the story were callously told, the conclusion might be unbearable. But Mr. Steinbeck has told it with both compassion and dexterity. The patient comradeship is developed in a series of homely episodes conveyed in the vernacular of two lonely men blundering around their small world. <laughs> Yeah. In the bunkhouse of a ranch in California, the story ensnares some other rootless lives and expands into dreams of a glorious deliverance. 
Um, although Mr. Steinbeck's talent is for spareness in expression, he is a virtuoso in the freehand sketching of a narrative. Under the comedy and the gusto of ranch life, the note of doom is constantly echoing, and the tragic conclusion is foreshadowed in the first scene of the play. So that's a little taste of what the contemporary reaction was like, what people were, what was resonating with people. This this guy did not write that this is a tale of friendship that triumphs <laughs> over the odds. <laughs> But he agrees with you about it being kind of tragic a little bit. Yeah, it's a tale of friendship that is tragic as the odds come crashing down. Mm-hmm. As the the doom bell or whatever that guy said tolls. <laughs> um, the note of doom that is constantly yeah. echoing, do you mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. They have a doom bell out in California. Um, um, and then, I mean, the only thing I could find about like the inspiration from the book is from a letter that Steinbeck wrote to a friend sure. where he said that he would, quote, like to write the story of this whole valley. Uh, he says, I can see how I would like to do it so that it would be the valley of the world. So sort of trying to encompass the human experience within yeah. this part of the country that he feels so strongly about. Sure. I buy that. It is, And it is very rooted in the people. I have a note from my east of eden notes about grapes of wrath that said it was locally banned because of its negative portrayals of capitalism Uh um, and the impact on migrant workers and i what is interesting reading of mice and men is that it is so spare and so focused on the individuals that like it does not take time to like name the systems that are like oppressing all of these people not really Yeah, it feels if it I've it's been many many years since I read Grapes of Wrath and I was not old enough for it when I did it, but I do recall that book having more space to to make that kind of commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then this one is much much shorter, which is part of the reason why I think we read it for the first <laughs> episode of our book podcast. No, we read it for the first episode of our book podcast cuz it was it name recognition, it was short. You had I, arguably stolen it from your high school English department. Yeah, my name is on the inside of it. Like I mm-hmm. wrote my name in it. Um, that means it belongs to you. It does. Um, and I'm not even sure if our high school has that address anymore. I know they did built you, a new did, one. You read that copy again? Yeah, I have it right here. Wow. I just feel like it's it's nice that every 10 years or so you revisit this book for some reason. <laughs> Even though back in high school, maybe arguably you didn't read it. There was a lot of uh, debate about whether you had actually read the book. I, I don't recall actually. I plead the mm-hmm. fifth. Um, mm-hmm. But the one, the why did I want to revisit it uh, for the show? It's episode number one. I kind of wanted to just go back to that mm-hmm. to celebrate what we had done here together, um, but also to kind of add what you just brought to this episode. You know both in the last few minutes and then we'll like have perspective on the second part of the episode, yeah. which Just is a, a note of, used to do a note of doom that is constantly echoing. <laughs> yes. Definitely. That's what I'm trying to bring. That's uh, the energy I try to bring to my podcast. <laughs> projects. Um, Just a stronger like awareness of these books in context, mm-hmm. which I think when we were first starting out, we were just like, I don't know. I read it and I'm coming to the microphone and I'm, I will have thoughts when I get there. I just, if you go back to those first episodes and then you zoom forward to these episodes without listening to any of the ones in between, you might be 
impressed maybe by the fact that we've gone nearly 15 minutes and neither of us has said the words i didn't look it up yet yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> yeah um i looked and- up a bunch of stuff in fact <laughs> um and i just like i was interested to know how i felt about these characters uh, having not read it in the interim, so yeah, and you got a bunch, you got a bunch of other literature under your belt. You've read East of Eden, so maybe you've you've journeyed deeper into Jaybeck's mind. I have. You know? I've burrowed deep you know in, him? like a mm-hmm. like a rabbit in a hutch. You mm-hmm. know, don't pet me, don't accidentally kill me. Um, I'm just a soft mm-hmm. rabbit. Mm-hmm. Don't wring my neck. Um, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and then I'll tell you about the book again. All right, again. <laughs> Craig, there are a lot of reasons to make a website. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe you need some workers to come and help you on your on your farm. I need to advertise, and only to do that, and not to, I like no misfortune or anything will happen. No bad things on this farm. Only <laughs> fun and crops. <laughs> if you need to make a website for your fun farm where nothing bad happens, <laughs> we encourage you to use Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you beautiful templates, drag and drop tools, and twenty four seven award winning customer support that help set you up for success so your best plans do just you know go off without a hitch instead of going awry or that's how the poem goes (laughs) uh here's some other things that we like about squarespace we like that they let you grow and engage your audience with email campaigns you can create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products blog posts and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective you can support your cause by gathering donations with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. Uh, you can gain powerful insights into who's migrating to your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience, geography, and more. And if you need to pull up and go to another farm down the down the way to get another job at some point, you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability, so you can pack yourself up and go whenever you need to. Uh, so head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Andrew, help him on the internet, which is great, but I need a doctor. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe someone has run you through with a pitchfork more times than you care to recount. <laughs> My friend John Steinbeck wants a- to write a novel about it, but first I need to see a doctor. <laughs> well, the good news is that we're here to tell you about another sponsor this week, and that sponsor is ZocDoc. It's the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Okay, good. Including pitchfork wounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no more Dr. Roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. I need these holes out of my torso, and I need it done right now. That's my schedule. Uh, I've used ZocDoc to schedule dentist appointments, eye exams, uh, find uh, general practitioners to keep me healthy. And I like that you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out a lot of your paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room. Save yourself some time 
and make it so you don't have to sit there with that little clipboard and a pen trying to remember what your spouse's phone number is. That's great because the do- <laughs> the the doctor's office that we go to for my son always mm-hmm. has a Minions movie on. Ooh, and boy, I'd like to skip that. And you, if that was my doctor's office. Oh, you need to skip it. I thought you were going to say that you wanted to be able to focus your full attention oh. on it instead of <laughs> well, doing paperwork. You know, two paths diverge. <laughs> so go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash overdue. ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Tell me about these mice. Tell me about these men. Well... So the original title, and do it in a way that, that, like, you've already told me about this book. So you got to find a way to do it again in a way that, like, wows and entertains me. Whoa! <laughs> Good luck. Oh boy. Well, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I don't think I told you last time. Mm-hmm. The original title of this book was something that happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this should be the working title of every book. I think. Yes, I, he almost went with it because he wanted to approach this story from a non-judgmental point of view which hearing that he said that he based Lenny on a real person kind of informs that for me actually Mm -hmm. Um, but he got the title of Mice and Men from this poem by Robert Burns called To a Mouse which is about a guy who (laughs) digs up a mouse's house by accident with his plow and feels bad about it Uh um and I can't. I would, I would read it to you, Andrew, but it's in like Scotch dialect. Okay. And I don't think anyone wants. That. Nobody wants to hear you talk about stuff, gang after glay or whatever the. Boot mouse, see thou art know thy lane, and proven for sight may be vain. I don't know what that is. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang off agly, off lay not, but grief and pain for promised joy. I'm part this is, Scottish. This, this isn't is, working. Yeah, this is nearly as cringy as the people on Twitter who pretend to be Scottish because they like Scottish Twitter. Exactly. Yeah, so, so I just want is, people to like go find a recording of it. But you know what? Is That is new content, so good job. Great. Check. So right. far, this podcast is the tale of a friendship that's triumphing <laughs> over the odds. Over the odds of 10 years? Yeah. Um, so this is a book about two guys, George and Lenny. They, as we've said, are migrant workers in California. George is a smaller guy. He's tough. He's personable and driven. He's a thinker. He's a planner. He's shrewd. But he realizes that if he weren't with Lenny... Uh, and didn't have their kind of shared dream of a farm of their own that he would just like you know roam around working pissing away his money in bars mm-hmm. with ladies you know yeah because it's that's it's an interesting i i am interested to explore more about why these two guys stay together because it seems like pretty obvious just from reading a service level synopsis why Lenny needs George. Yeah. But it is, it's, it seems it's, it's almost radical to me that George has the self-awareness <laughs> to know that he needs another guy to kind of keep him on task. Yeah. You know? Like to, to be so self-aware was not a thing that we 
usually required of white men in the 1930s. No, no. Or indeed to the to the present day. Well, say. and George will often get upset with Lenny or at mm-hmm. least just like vent at Lenny about what his life could be like without him, where he says, you know, God Almighty, if I was alone, I could live so easy. I could go get a job and work and no trouble, no mess at all. And when the end of the month come, I could take my 50 bucks, go into town and get whatever I want. Why, I could stay in a cat house all night. I could eat any place I want, hotel or any place, or anything I could think of. And I could do all that every month. Get a gallon of whiskey or sit in a pool room, play cards or shoot pool. And he's like goes on and then he tells us a whole backstory about the last job that they had where Lenny, uh, you know, touched a woman's dress and then she got scared and then he didn't let go. And then everyone thought that Lenny was trying to rape her. Cool. And so they had to leave town. Mm-hmm. And whenever those these like blow ups happen, uh, George always kind of finds himself like not able to walk away from Lenny and then also in caring for Lenny because Lenny in those moments is like getting kind of freaked out and or feeling really guilty he's like no we could build a future that it that where both of us could get by and like that Mm -hmm. I think Lenny enables in George an aspiration that the book is really interested in this kind of like American dream-esque kind of thing um for is there George. Anything, is there anything that feels like bad or manipulative about it? Because because you could also see it being a thing where George wants to hang out with a guy who makes him feel like big and capable mm. and, and smart. I don't I don't know that that is a dimension of the relationship, but it is not, though people assume that George is doing that. Okay. So right. like I interesting. So the, bo- ab- the book acknowledges that even though it's not actually what's yeah. What you understand to be going on. So the basis of their relationship is that George knew Lenny's Aunt Clara, who has died at some point. And so, like, George had to take care of Lenny. Um, Lenny is, we haven't said this, he's a big guy, very big mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the book puts it, he has the mind of a child. He is often very forgetful. He sometimes has trouble focusing Mm-hmm. Um, he can get very fixated on certain things. His big thing is that he really likes to touch soft things, soft materials. He likes to pet animals. I mean, soft um, things rule. Animals, petting animals, famously yes. pretty great. The problem is, is that he is a very big and strong person, and Me he too. often kills them when he's well, petting them. Uh oh. <laughs> like not me in the first scene of the book like he's got a dead mouse in his pocket that he's been like keeping kind of like a rabbit's foot mm-hmm. um and george is like you gotta get rid of that and then lenny later in the scene has it again and george has to like throw it in a lake because yeah lenny just you can't, can't just be carrying around a dead mouse yeah it's no good mm-hmm. um and the dream the thing that we learn about over the course of the book is that they are going to get a little stake, as George says. They're going to get a bunch of money together, and they're going to buy this property, and they're going to, as Lenny likes to say, live off the fat of the land, is what mm-hmm. he says. Mm-hmm. And they'll have their own crops. They will uh, be able to work when they want on their own schedule. They won't be answering to anyone else. George says if there's if a fair comes to town, we could just go. 
we could just like walk we could just go um, that's a very nice thought i feel like farming sort of has pretty rigid like requirements in terms of effort and 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 scheduling yes regardless of whether you're doing it for yourself or or for somebody else but i don't want to burst his bubble because it sounds very nice well and i think it's implied that they would let people come on and work on their farm as well george also this really wonder you know when you and you've you've done this in your house uh laura and i have not done it as much in our new house i can't wait to Um, hear what what you're gonna say when you (laughs) when you um uh, move into a new place and you're like oh if i invited people over mm-hmm. or if i invited people to stay here mm-hmm. like here's what that would look like it's so exciting yeah, yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. um and george even does that he's like oh you know if someone if a friend came through town we'd have a place to put them up like that's just part of the dream is like to have a place where you can be that generous of a person that's very nice it is very that, that nice lenny and george would do entertaining yeah <laughs> Well, I don't know that Lenny's going to do any entertaining if George builds the rabbit hutch that Lenny wants so that there can be rabbits so that he can feed them alfalfa and then he can pet them whenever he wants them. Mm-hmm. And if any cats come and try to kill the rabbits, he will wring their goddamn necks is what he says. Right. The cats from the cat house no, that we not, talked about earlier. No, um, different cats. He, was, he wasn't talking about like one of those cat cafes where you go and... <laughs> Get coffee and you pet I don't a think they had those in the Great Depression. I maybe they wouldn't have been so depressed if they had those. <laughs> maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's what Hoover should have done. Yeah, set up cat houses in his yeah. Hoovervilles. Um, <laughs> and this whole first scene, we don't get all of this vision of the dream in this first scene. Some of it drops in a little bit later in the book, but um, the main foreshadowing in this opening scene where they are not quite at the farm the new farm job they're going to but they are like sitting by this lake and George is recounting what happened in the last place and he says to Lenny if we get into any trouble I need you to come here and hide and I will come find you Mm -hmm. well that's you know I mean you read that in a book and you're like well well, uh, at when, when is he going to need to hide and yes. why? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big thing I appreciated in this read, I talked about it, I think, on the other episode, but just how the the fact that it is like an economic, it's a very efficient um, play-like structure is that all of the foreshadowing really works because you don't, you don't have to consume that much story and like forget that something was set up like 20 pages ago or whatever mm-hmm. it is like the, but they the, also don't need to draw like three bright red underlines exactly all, all under everything to make sure that you remember it. No right? one, no one has to be like, remember how he likes soft things. Mm-hmm. Like it just kind of naturally happens over the course of a hundred page book. It's, it's pretty efficient and effective. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the other people that they meet at this farm. Andrew. Okay, sure. Uh, they meet, Candy, he's an old man. He is what is called a swamper. What do you think a swamper is, Andrew? A guy who likes trudging through the swamp. No. Or a really sweaty guy, maybe. I bet he gets sweaty. He's basically the janitor. He's swamping it up, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, He's kind of, he has an old dying dog. 
Uh, and he basically is an old dying dog also. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, he got injured a few years ago. He's got some money saved up, but he knows that like they can't keep him around here much longer and he will not be able to get another job. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very nice to George and Lenny once he gets to know them. And then about halfway through the book, when he hears about their plan to get this farm, he's like, hey, could you cut me in? Like I've got I've got enough money to get you a down payment. Ooh. But I don't like I'm not valuable as a mm-hmm. worker. Mm-hmm. Can I join in? Mm-hmm. And so there's this like over the course of the novel, you can feel like in this world of, you know, rugged individualism where everyone's just kind of like trying to get by on their own, if enough people could forge connections with each other, mm-hmm. Maybe they could make it. If and they maybe... could do a collective action. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know that it's quite a collective action. Well, I mean, this the... just sounds like this guy wants to like Napster into their farm thing and, and put up some money and, well, that's... and let them do all the work. I, I don't think that he's quite a, you know, what's that guy's? Sean, Sean Parker? Parker, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say Justin Timberlake, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so can can well, I mean, the book cool, the book was originally called The Mice and Men. Oh jeez. <laughs> and they they dropped it. You know what's cooler? Um there's this guy who's not a big character but I literally did not mention him at all 10 years ago named Carson. Okay? I found him interest he popped for me in this read because he is the guy who seems the most comfortable with in like just like ah this is kind of a crappy life. Mhm. But somebody's got to do it, you know. Like he's not—he's not really striving the way that George is striving. Yes, he's not—he's not striving. Nor is he like Slim, who is like the best of them. He's this accomplished like horse wrangler, kind of mm-hmm. feels like a cowboy type, and is the foreman, for lack of a better word, of the team. Okay, Carson's just like ah, he's there. He's kind of giving Candy some crap. He's the one who ultimately convinces Candy that his dog needs to, you know, be old yellered and it's very sad. Um wait out. Hold on. What? Just trying to see. Oh no, the old yeller not come out yet. So this was not a reference that they would have understood. No, if Carson was like, hey, you got to old yeller that thing, he'd be like, what are you I'm talking like, about, what? bro? Mm. <laughs> um and then at the end of the book, when, you know, bad things have happened with Lenny Carson is one of the first people who's like, well, we got to go get him. We got to take care of him. Mm -hmm. So he's not a, he's not an ally to anyone. And he's just, for me, was very representative of the, like the, the median guy in this world. Sure. Who is not too poor off, but not trying to make anything better. Yeah. And is predominantly self-interested. It sounds like. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's crooks, who is the stable hand. He's the only black character in the book that we meet. Okay. Everybody else is white. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crooks has suffered many injuries in his life. He There's one story they tell of like everyone inviting him in to play cards with them. And then this was before George and Lenny showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they all just like beat the crap out of him for fun, you know? <sighs> um, the interesting thing is that like based on this time period, his his parents or his grandparents they're not from the south like he does not come from 
uh, people who are enslaved, at least like in in his knowledge. Mm-hmm. But he is still a pariah, even on you know not just in the larger sense of racist America, but like right here on this farm. Sure. Um, though he he is like very valuable. He has very valuable skills. And so he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. So he's got like possessions on the farm, which nobody else really has. Like he's got mm-hmm. books and he's got, you know, things that are, he's building his own little room and corner there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene with him and Lenny later in the book where he, I don't know why. And I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. He's like really mean to Lenny. Okay. Where George has gone into town with all the guys uh, to like you know, throw back some brewskis or something. I don't know. Go get a gallon of whiskey and go to the cat cafe. <laughs> and Lenny, who's been playing with some dogs in the barn, kind of wanders into Crooks's room because the lights were on just to say hi or whatever. Uh-huh. And Crooks is like, "Hey, what if your guy never comes back? Like, what if he just leaves you here? What if he never cared about you?" And uh has no intention of coming back or they do something to him and then you're stuck here all by yourself. What do you think is going to happen? Hmm. And Lenny just, it's like, it really sucks to read. I did not like reading it. And I mean, that, that seems like a thing where crooks is like uniquely influence less in this society. and, And he has found somebody he can exert some small amount of control over, even if it's just like emotional, control that that i mean i don't don't know if the book is explicitly making that point but that feels like the read to me that feels right especially because then i don't don't know how much we care about like crooks's motivation for saying this or if we're just paying attention to the fact that he is saying it i think that's uh, this book does not have a lot of interiority at all anyway Mm -hmm. so the the closest you get to like how a character feels about a situation is if he gives you an adjective or two for whatever like action they're performing in, sure. in the narration. Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason, like you said, it, it could, you could just take the book and just perform it as a script. Um, yeah. And so Crooks does this to Lenny. Lenny gets kind of mad actually. And Crooks backs down. because <laughs> He's like, Oh God. <laughs> uh, Candy comes in and they bond. And then, Curly's wife comes in. We haven't talked about Curly or his wife. I don't know mm-hmm. how much you remember about these characters, Andrew. Well, not, not the Three Stooges guy. Not at all. A different no, Curly. A different Curly. It, but is it the, still the same thing where he's like bald and so they call him Curly as like a joke? Or what is his real name, Curly? Or tell his, me about Curly I, colon origins. I think his real, he has not gone bald yet, to my mm-hmm. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a little guy he's got mm-hmm. a napoleon a napoleon complex mm-hmm. i almost said a napoleonic complex like mm-hmm. nobody says that um, should call him stretch that would have been fun or something yeah. big big and tall coming mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. um so he doesn't like lenny because lenny's big also right right mm-hmm. and he's a little guy he's had some success in the boxing ring as like a welterweight right okay. sure. he's the boss's son like, the boss does not feature heavily in the book. He shows up in one scene and goes away. Curly's wife tells us that the boss isn't even who owns the ranch. Somebody else does. So, like, Curly is, like, the worst middle management of middle management. Kind Neptism, of, like, fail yeah. son nonsense. <laughs> fail son. I feel confident that we would not have used the word fail son <laughs> ten years ago in our podcast. And 
Curly always keeps one hand in a in a glove, in a nice soft glove. And there's Vaseline in there, probably. <laughs> and everyone That's disgusting. Everyone says that he's keeping it soft for his wife. Well, that maybe that's considerate. Maybe I'm revising my opinion now. But they've only recently gotten married and it's very clear that they have done nothing. Whoa, okay. Because everyone why is says it cle- why is it clear? Everyone says he's got ants in his pants. Like, but in an upset way. That's hmm, what is what do we think the clinical definition of ants in ants in his pants is? I don't know. Like angry, horny. Oh, okay. Like he'd like to be sleeping with his wife, but literally, Curly and Curly's wife are defined. By walking into rooms, asking where the other person is, and then leaving, and then the other one comes in and goes, "Where's the other? Where's my wife? Mm-hmm. Where's Curly?" And mm-hmm. Curly's always looking for her, but she's never actually looking for Curly. Huh? Okay. She, she's always coming into rooms where the guys are, and you know, being a bit of a vamp, mm-hmm. turning a it vamp. on. You know, mm-hmm. flirting. Sure, yeah. She's not a good person, and she doesn't come across well in this novel. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate she beats a trash can. <laughs> yeah, I think we do need to. We need to have positive feelings about Lenny, and like neutral to negative feelings about her. Yeah, to still sort of be rooting for George and, Le- George and Lenny by the time the end of the book rolls around. I, th- I think. I don't know. Yeah. The, and for it, for it to seem tragic instead of like just that yes. things end for Lenny the way that they do. Here's one of the scenes where you do not feel good about her at all. Is, okay. So the scene I set up with Crooks, you know, insulting Lenny and stuff. The end of that scene is, Cur- is Curly's wife coming in and just interrupting their conversation taking all the power in the room, mm-hmm. them kind of being like, why are you like this? <laughs> and she, in not so many words, shuts down Crooks by telling him that she could get everyone to lynch him at a moment's notice. Cool. So. That's fun. Yeah. You don't get a, you don't get a whiff of, of, uh, humanizing her until the very last scene that she's in where she talks about like her dream of being an actress was stolen from her and she thought that she was going to have this upwardly mobile life and then she figured maybe she could have it with Curly instead and then Curly sucks and so she's yeah. trapped and what else is she supposed to do mm-hmm. um, but up until that point she's very unsympathetic <laughs> yeah and is awful to people mm-hmm. Uh. I, that's all of the characters. I kind of wanted to talk through it that way because the plot is pretty bang, bang, bang. And I already covered it 10, ten years, years ago. ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And I asked you to surprise and delight me with new with new stuff. Yeah, Give me the I new did. Stuff. I tried so, my best. No, you did good. You did good. I'm surprised and delighted. Um, the f- we talked all about our favorite fail son wife guy, <laughs> Curly. <laughs> He sucks. The scene where Lenny, cr- <laughs> the scene where Lenny crushes his hand rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, really? Okay. It rules because he crushes his hands. Okay. 
And I just, before we started recording, realized it's because it's in a soft glove. <laughs> it's like... It's got uh, squishy little baby hands. Yeah, it's it's actually really impressive the way that Steinbeck pulls off the, this like bang bang in the plot because they're hanging out in the bunkhouse. Uh, pretty sure that George and Lenny are just vibing. It's when we get the first full version of the of the farm dream from George to Lenny as like this like comfort mechanism, right? And so Lenny's all like. Just kind of hanging out, like smiling, thinking about the rabbits and thinking about the farm. And then Curly comes in and he's like accusing different people of sleeping with his wife. Mm-hmm. And he looks at Lenny and sees that Lenny is smiling and gets real like, what are you, what am I, a clown to you? What are you laughing? Yeah, what are yeah. you laughing about? And so, what are you laughing at me and my baby hands and my hands <laughs> and my pants? So What's he funny about that? Attacks Lenny and like hits him multiple times in the face and draws blood. And Lenny's just like, don't even like he's yelling to George. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, make him stop. I don't want him to hurt me. And George, well, and he doesn't he probably doesn't want to hurt him. No, he does Lenny not. He doesn't want to hurt hurt Curly in a way that would get them in trouble. But George does say, let him have it, Lenny. And he just grabs Curly's hand. And the thing about Lenny is that if he he grabs something, he will not let go. He just mm-hmm. will not. Mm-hmm. Is the more you yell at him, like he will not. And it does it just shatters every bone in this man's hand. Oops. And they finally are able to separate him. But uh, Curly deserved it, in my opinion. Yeah, it just sounds like he had it coming. But I um, assume this is not good for. George Actually, and Lenny's employment. There's a great no, because okay. Slim because Slim walks up to Curly while he's still holding his busted hand, and Slim is like, "Listen, we all saw what happened. If you breathe a word of what this guy, you got that that was an accident mm-hmm. in a machine. Otherwise, I'll tell everyone what happened, and you know, every, you'll be a laughing stock. And Curly's such a proud person that it works on him. Sure. Um, now, of course. Other very bad things happen later to Curly's wife that Lenny and George cannot escape. Yeah, sure. So that is that is the result of Lenny has been taking care of some puppies in the barn that were from a dog that Slim had. Um, there's a lot of like the caring for dog stuff as a, as a metaphor in this book, as I talked about with Candy's dog as well. And we get this really sad scene where Lenny has killed the puppy that he's been caring for he kept taking it away from its mom to like hug it and pet it mm-hmm. and that is not good for it when it is so young right and he's too strong and so he's in the barn and he's sad and curly's wife comes in and just starts talking to lenny and she's not being overtly mean to him at the beginning of this scene she does just kind of seem like a broken person who doesn't know what else to do yeah, it's the nicest she comes across in the book, even though she's not being like really like nice or anything. Mm-hmm. And Lenny is like, "No, this is really bad. I killed this puppy. George won't let me have rabbits on the farm now. I just like to t- touch soft things." And she is like, "Hey, my hair is really soft. Like, feel my hair." And. Lenny touches it and then he, you know, doesn't know his own strength and then she tries to pull away and then she's not alive anymore. Yeah, like, give him a blanket. Like, why are we yeah. letting... 
why can't we get him? Really, why can't we get him a stuffy or something? I don't know. It's mm. it's. I don't understand. It's very sad. Yeah, um, that's yeah. It's very sad. And then they go on a hunt for him, and George has to finagle his way to take care of it. Um, I read some like that this book had been banned. Like for you know for various reasons, there's a lot of yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's characters using racist language. There's characters talking about whores all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their favorite word in this book. Uh, but then it also that it was like arguing for euthanasia in a way that made people uncomfortable. And I'm not trying to wade into that debate at all. I just want to say that I don't think that's what this book is doing. <laughs> I think it is a very tragic end. Where two friends do not triumph over the odds? Are you sure? Because common th- no is Thoughtco. <laughs> Thoughtco told me that this is a story about two friends who triumph over the odds. I think it is. One friend realizes that his other friend did a bad thing, mm-hmm. and rather than let other people have some sort of violent justice that is going to be awful he does another awful violent thing instead like and that's and in sad. so doing triumphing over the odds in so if by triumphing over the odds you mean ridding his life of the person that was giving him any notion of an aspirational existence then yeah triumphing over the odds yeah i mean yeah. obviously that's what i meant like what did you mean <laughs> <laughs> the that's the book. <laughs> um, I'm just so tickled by the triumphing over the odds. It's, I'm really glad you found it because it is so absurd, mm-hmm. and it is not what the book is at all. But it, it but the book is about friendship. It is about friendship. Like multiple people in the book are just like, why are the two of you together? What is that about? And even as you asked, Andrew, like. Even with George being like, ah, I should take care of him because I knew his aunt, that doesn't explain like the level of investment that George has in Lenny right, and yeah. the level of, of care and love that Lenny wants from George and mm-hmm. gives back in his own way. Well, it, it sounds like every other, every other relationship between two people in the book is like super toxic and, and bad. Yep. Um, we don't have a lot of characters we can root for in the in the first place yep and so the focal point is yes these two guys who are still like lightly amoral like they 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 do not they definitely don't seem like paragons of of virtue in like a fallen world they fit in with all these other characters fine correct but there is there is a camaraderie and love between the two of them that does not seem to exist between any other two characters in the entire story. Yeah. Yeah. And like what if what if you could live on your own terms is like a big is a big thing of like what the you know big American novels are all about, right? Yeah. And what if you could what if you could be the boss instead what, of the boss getting you down? Yeah. What if other what if someone other than Charles was in charge? And what if it was you? <laughs> And that is that that is American because it's not like what if we got rid of bosses? It's what if I was the boss instead? Yeah, that's the that's the American novel part of this. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the American novel part of it that like as I was reading it was reminded of of Gatsby and just like these novels that we think of are like that are about the American dream. They're all about how it's un it's completely 
impossible mm-hmm. and trying and striving for it just ultimately leads to ruin or other people won't let you do it I mean, or... yeah it is called the american dream and not the american reality i think that but by calling it the american <sighs> dream there is a yeah an, an implication of of uh not impossibility but of like unlikeliness that that, that it, it has is... certainly not been realized yet yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah it's a great book i love this book a lot um the i was you know this read i think as i said like carson popped slim popped a little bit as like a good guy uh who has a who has a smaller but important role to play um and just like how the characters don't connect to each other as you just said andrew mm-hmm, was, was mm-hmm. like really important to me on this read sure um as a high, you know contrasting against george and lenny and also just i will sh- i will say it like i said 10 years ago there is a weird scene at the end where lenny <laughs> hallucinates a giant rabbit as well as his dead aunt clara and i'm never ready for it every time I read this. so what is that what does that one mean what's I that d- one about I don't know why uh, Steinbeck decided to like give us Lenny's inside Lenny's brain. You tell me you didn't look it up. I didn't. <laughs> You're right. I didn't. <laughs> All right. That's just a touch of, of classic 10 years ago overdue for an intentional taste of what the show. Was None like of your reviews of ago. the play mentioned a man in a rabbit costume. No, I don't. I mean, I didn't see it anywhere. There was a the the San. I found a thing in the San Francisco Chronicle about you know that letter that he wrote to his friend about how the book's original sale price was two dollars, which would have been thirty six dollars. Oh no! <laughs> um, and the original review was embedded in it, but the image is too small for me to read the text. So maybe oh. that one has some stuff about Lenny's like hallucination at the end. I don't know, but. No, I didn't find anything about it. Interesting. I saw that it was an early book of the month club pick, which helped mm. contribute to its like popularity at the time. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, as you said, keeping with having read East of Eden, I get it. In what I talked about ten years ago as being like a very teachable book in terms of symbolism, foreshadowing, quick character sketches. To me, now it reads more of just like. How do I get to, how do I, J. Beck, get to like primal character types quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like tell the, talk about the themes I want to talk about and not worry too much about what are characters thinking? Sure. Um, which is certainly something I, I remember from from Eden where it's a lot of like, I'm just doing a Bible story, y'all. Like, chill out. <laughs> So that's uh, of mice and men, Andrew. We did it again. We did it again. Our best laid plans. I think they went pretty good this time. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did not go awry, <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever the Scotch word for what is it? Uh, a glay. Gang after glay. Yes, yeah. that's how it is. Um, so this has been our podcast. If you listened to the first one many years ago. Uh, in February of 2013, and you are now listening to this one. We'd love to hear from you. How did you get? How did you make it this far? Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at overduepod. 
Our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about our show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have our reading schedule for the month up there. Uh, we also have a link to our Patreon project, patreon.com slash overduepod. Support the show financially. Uh, you pay for our equipment and our books and like various computer upgrades and things that we need to keep the show coming out. No Google um, ads. Yeah, no Google ads still. Ten years, no Google ads. <laughs> um and uh, you also get access to our Discord server and bonus episodes and and uh, uh, bonus episode recordings, like streams, yeah. those yeah. kind of things. We, we we offer some some perks, I would say. We weren't streaming ten years ago. No, that what they hadn't even invented streaming yet. I mm. ten years ago, we were both on our dial up our our twenty eight hundred baud <laughs> modems on. <laughs> prodigy forums putting this podcast together <laughs> what are you Things reading next week andrew i'm rereading the secret history by donna tart mm, yes book where i i don't remember i don't think the episode is bad i think i didn't end up liking the book very much and a lot of people do like the book and so i want to try again to like it and we'll i see if that happens i think that's great I, this is of of the ones that we've selected for this month. This is the one where I'm the most worried about just recording literally the same episode again. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. So Ooh. we'll see how it goes. What if I try to trick you into recording the same episode? Oh man, I'll have to listen to it and be on the lookout for your tricks. Mm. Mm. All right, it's going to become a game of cat and mice and men. I'll edit this out later if the Eagles don't win. Go birds! Go birds! Okay. All right, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. Go Birds. That was a HeadGum Podcast.